Happy 2024, John Schuler. Happy 2024. <laughs> I was blowing my streamer there. You're blowing something, sounds like. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what right? you're blowing. So it's the Chinese. So, you know, the Chinese always have like a, it's a year of the Zodiac, the year of whatever. Yeah. I think last year was the year of the rabbit. I can't remember, but 2024 is the year of the dragon, which I think is awesome because dragons are rad, right? Mm-hmm. But I looked it up. The concrete Zodiac is the year of the bear. Not any Sweet. bear, not just any bear, John. It's the year of the Kodiak bear. according to the concrete zodiac so what that means for the concrete industry is it's going to be a phenomenal year for concrete and i am psyched but yeah i'm excited about it you know the other thing is you just got back you're on vacation for a few weeks and uh i was in my shop working away for the last few weeks but you know that the last few weeks in my shop it was a time of reflection because this year i've been in business now for 20 years and so this is my 21st year in business i look back at the last 20 years and everything that i've gone through and one of the things I was thinking about being in the shop is day one. What was day one like? And I remember day one. I remember the feeling you do too. You know, we're both self-made. Yeah, I do. Yeah. You know, we, yeah. we didn't have family members bankroll our business, buy business for us. We, nope. we had a very different trajectory and we have the trajectory that most of people going into this go. And that is. <laughs> I basically had whatever room was on a credit card. Exactly. Yeah. Plus or minus. That was it. No more, no less. Um, my first day in 2004 opened my shop door and there was nothing i didn't have a festool sander i didn't have a mixer i didn't have anything i the i ordered a uh, drum mixer an imer drum mixer and um it got dropped off behind my shop i wasn't even there i pulled around the building and there was a mixer just sitting behind my shop um but i remember that and i remember the pride and i remember you know working so hard for that first year and struggling and my first customer and buying my first festool sander and the pride I had in that and the trials and tribulations. And that is something that, um, that everybody goes through. But unfortunately, there's a super high attrition rate in this industry. There's yeah, a, that's unfortunate. Yeah, attrition yeah. being a failure. And there's not lack of demand. I mean, that's that's what blows my mind. There's not like lack of demand. So exactly for people to fall out. Like I was just on, I think, an, um, the Australian forum here, just a minute, Australia forum. Okay. And yeah, I mean, you know, there's a couple of guys that's selling, selling all their equipment. They're just, you know, they're falling out. Yeah. And part of that reason is again, not lack of demand, uh, with their case was lack of good quality information and product. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah, losing it. Yeah. It's a bummer. Well, the failure rate, the attrition rate in this industry, it hovers between 80% and 90% per year, per year, yeah. 80 to 90%. Well, statistically, that's what we saw at, from Blue Concrete Buddy Roads. There's exactly. no question about that. And I yeah. see it. You know, for, for two decades, I've watched so many people come into the industry. They're excited. You know, they got uh, stars in their eyes and big dreams and, you know, they're, they're going to make it. Yeah. And... They start off great and I'm seeing great photos and I'm seeing, you know, all this stuff. And then a year, year and a half, they're posting, Hey, I'm selling all my tools. Yeah. And it's sad. And there's lots of reasons for it, but what I'm going to say, at least what I've seen over the years, some of the biggest reasons continue to be the same. You know, they, whatever they, they end up on a path, uh, listening to somebody, um, or, you know, taking advice from people with that were never successful in it either, uh, maybe they've moved on to other things and then they try utilizing that advice while they, you know, slowly circle around the drain hole. 
Yeah. It's, um, yeah. And I, I mean, I've seen that time and time again, I don't know how to ever change that. And I'm, I'm hoping, you know, continuing into 2024, you know, we, um, the, as an industry continues to transition, <clears throat> it'd be exciting. I mean, it's going to be exciting. You, you just said something that I haven't, I haven't been moved past John. I didn't even hear the last couple sentences. You said drain hole. Yeah, the drain, circling the drain. Drain, uh-huh. yeah. But you said drain hole. Do you call it the drain hole? Well, it could this be is a, a very drain strange hole. term. I've never heard anybody call it the drain hole. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call it? The Just drain. Call it drain. The drain. Okay. Yeah, yeah, bro. All right. It was a weird. I don't know. I think sometimes well, it's my mind. A hole in a pipe, dude. <laughs> so you just call it the it hole? Definitely goes down. <laughs> <laughs> There's no question about it. Uh, the yeah, hole is clogged, honey. Hole. Yeah. But there, there's two things that contribute to it. Number one is going to be bad information from salesmen. So a lot of people get into this industry and they find a product, whether it was recommended or they saw a video or whatever, they, they, come, they come across a product and they contact that product manufacturer and they say, you know, how do I use your product? And chances are they're going to be talking to a salesman and a very high chance somebody that doesn't actually make concrete for a living, but they're selling right. products to these guys, right? So this person is going to give them advice and they're going to go back to their shop. You know, this person with stars in their eyes and they're new and they're going to cast. They're not going to be very happy with the results. So they're going to call back, you know, Hey, uh, so-and-so I followed your advice, but this happened and this happened, you know, why? And what can I do to fix it? The problem is the person they're talking to doesn't have the depth of knowledge. They don't have the experience to give a meaningful answer that's going to resolve the issues, right? So well, yeah, that's, that's long since been, at least in this niche industry, uh, a, a problem since day one, which is exactly why Blue Concrete and what became Buddy Road's products stood behind. I mean, everybody in that business, uh, even though a couple of them may not have, you know, their businesses ended up becoming unsuccessful, but they still had experience even in that, to help people, A, follow the path where they began with using the products because they were very passionate of what they do, and even the, you know, the, the landmines that they stepped on, which ultimately led to some of their demise, to help people navigate and maintain a success. And then they went on to find successes in other ways. And that, that was pre the purchase by SmoothOn. So the Buddy Roads back was blue concrete. They, they employed yeah, yeah, yeah. people. No, that everybody had... in house, except, you know, except the owner, Sean Hayes. No, no. Whether a person was talking to me again, the chemist, the designer tech support or, or Jeremy or Philip. I mean, both those guys came from, I mean, times when their shops were busy, 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 busy. And then, you know, life happens. Yeah. Life happens to them and, you know, they needed to move on to other things, but it still doesn't change the fact that Everybody supporting that business from inside the warehouse to sales to, you know, designing the materials. Yeah. They, I mean, these were all experienced individual and that was a rarity. Well, it is a rarity. Yeah. Where I was going with this, John, is Sorry. we get a lot of people that come to our workshops that have been doing it for a while and they're struggling and they're struggling and oh, they're yeah. struggling. And when we talk to them, the source of the struggle is the information they received from the product manufacturers they've been purchasing from. That's where this bad information was generated for a lot of them. Now there's a second source too that I'll talk about, but that's where a lot of the bad information came from. Now, I don't think, you know, we think of like Ernie back when, when uh, Smooth On bought Buddy Rhodes, I had a salesman named Ernie. Yeah, yeah. Ernie was a nice guy. Ernie was, you know, 
Everybody liked Ernie, but Ernie had never done this. And, you know, so a lot of people talk to Ernie and get this bad information from somebody that was a salesman. And no, I remember plenty of conversations with Ernie and I'm like, Ernie, because he would call me and I'm like, no, well, this, 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 and this. He's like, ah, John's no, no one's going to do that. So I'm going to tell him this. It's like, don't do that, Ernie. (laughs) Man, please don't do that. I'm telling you the right way. Yeah. Yeah, have them call me. We'll walk through it, walk through these kind of things because, you know, you're, you're going to send them down a whole nother path that's just going to be frustrating for them. And, but again, it's because he was a salesman. He's a salesman. And I guess my point with this is these material vendor companies, they're not intentionally given bad information. They, no. they have no vested interest that. in you going out of business. The problem is they're not in the business of doing what we do. They're in the business of selling products. And unfortunately, because of that, they're employing people that, again, aren't professionals in this industry, that don't have the experience. And so the information being perpetuated to the people coming into this industry is incorrect and bad and ultimately leads to the the person's demise. The second source of bad information is going to be training. So unfortunately, there's training out there from people that never ran a successful business. You and I were talking about this a little bit earlier today, but I was likening this to, you know, if, if you want to hit your wagon to somebody, you want to hit your wagon to somebody that's successful, you know, and if you're going to go down a, a road, like, let's say I want to become a chef. Am I going to go take lessons from somebody that wasn't successful as a chef, but this person's going to teach me how to be a successful chef? And how does it even work? You don't even know what a successful chef yeah. does. You've never You're done a manager it. at McDonald's. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I don't get strong, it. That's not a chef. But yeah. if I wanted to be a successful chef, I would find somebody that's owned and operated a successful restaurant for a long time. 20 years would be great. Right. So anyways, well, I you know it reminds me of <laughs> some of the, you know, let's say some of that that goes on in this industry. And I've always said this for a long time. You know how sometimes you'll, I don't know, let's say, You'll read something and it'd be like, hey, you know, for $15.99, I'll teach you how to be successful with crypto or whatever the case may be, yeah, right? Yeah. And how to be a major success. And you're like, oh, damn it. You know what? For $15.99 or whatever that number is, yeah, I'll do that. Let me check it out. And the answer comes back, we'll start your own ad on <laughs> by selling crypto and get someone else, you know, like a Ponzi scheme kind of thing. That's that's what I've seen and continue to see, not with every, again, not, not product demo kind of stuff. I think that's amazing. And I, I think in so many ways that's, that's necessary, but I don't see that as training per se, as opposed to if there's somebody out there, see how I politically correct, put that, put that in there. If there's people out there with, you know, no success instead, you know, found their success by essentially, you know, bringing people in to sell them on their success, uh, that's that's always been difficult for me. My point with this whole thing, John, is that's fine. That's fine. But there's a reason why the attrition rate is as high as it is. And it's not due to lack of demand. There's a ton of demand no. for concrete. We're going to talk about is concrete still in style and Absolutely. have that discussion. But it's not due to a lack of demand and it's not due to a lack of quality materials, quality sealer, has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the quality of the information and the direction that people new to the industry are receiving. And it's unfortunate, but in 2024, I'm hoping that we can help get people on the right path, get you going in the right direction. 
I've been doing this for 20 years. John's been doing this for 20 years. We're self-made men. We don't use daddy's money to, to do what we want to do. We didn't run a business 20 years ago that failed. Now we're going to teach you how to do what we did, run a failed business. We're not going to do any of those things. We're going to teach you the right way to do it. And so that's my goal in 2024. And I just want to get that out of the way because it's a new year. I've, for 20 years, I've seen the churn. I've seen the people come in. I've seen the cycle again and again and again. And it's frustrating and it's unnecessary. And I hope- It really is. I hope with the, you know, we have a, a big audience with the podcast. I'm hoping that we're getting to people before they make, you know, the ultimate mistake and take a class that leads them in the wrong direction and hitch their wagon, did a failed business. Now they're going to teach you how to do a failed business. The other thing I want to tie this to, John, is we have the Fundamentals Workshop coming up February 10th and 11th here in Wichita, Kansas. Yeah. And that workshop is designed specifically as the entry point for somebody coming into the industry to get the foundation, to get the, the basics right. Because if, you know, you finish how you start, if you start off the right way, you're going to have a great success. If you start off the wrong way, you're doomed. And so this class, yeah. one and a half days small investment. It's not an expensive class. We do it on the weekend. You fly in on Friday night, come to the class Saturday, come the half day Sunday, fly home Sunday afternoon. You didn't miss any work and uh, get started in the right direction. So if you're interested in that, go to oh, Concrete. I 100% agree. I mean, even with what seems to be, and I saw, I've said this in previous podcasts, seasoned professionals, you know, I, I mean, there's, there's still conversations continually that I have with seasoned professionals where, you know, I have to go back. We go back to the foundations like, mm, no, what made you decide that? Like, this is the reasons for that. Like even something as crazy as, you know, plasticizer loadings and what the expectation out of that. And so what made you decide to go the other direction and why that doesn't work? I mean, these are all part of the, part of the foundations. So I, my point being, is it's not just for newbies. If it no. was ever, you know, pointed towards people entering, yes, absolutely become part of the foundations. But, you know, I truly believe for all of us, you know, going back and spending some time on the foundations is, um, is a good thing. It can't hurt at any time. Exactly. And if you're interested in that, go to concretedesignschool.com and you can read more about it and register there. So there's that. So the topic of today's podcast, John Schuler, is... Yes, sir. Is concrete still in style? Is concrete countertops or are concrete countertops still in style? Are concrete sinks still in style? Are concrete tile still in style? And I had this, this came about from a conversation with an interior designer I was having. You know, they're always on what is on trend. So interior design, they're always what's on trend. And, you know, it got me thinking, what makes something in style, number one? And how do you maintain keeping it on trend? Is that even possible to keep something on trend? And I, you know, I have a few different thoughts on that, but I want to get your, before I even tell you my side of it, I want to get your side of it. In your opinion, are concrete countertops still in style? What do you think? Boy, that's a wide open question. My, first of all, my simple answer is absolutely. You know, um, and why is it in style? I might have a different answer than you, but, you know, because I see it from even the smallest to the largest, meaning that, is it still in style even for people who, I don't know, think they got their information from a YouTube channel and, you know, they're going to make their own vanity? Well, that's in style from that point of view. The other meaning, you know, they may not be – they want to do something themselves. They're not necessarily looking for something that you and I would, you know, stand behind from a business point of view. Um, but on the flip side of it, 
from a designing point of view, yeah, I would say they're absolutely still in style in the clientele base that's who doesn't want to be part of what's become ordinary. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I, I absolutely. Think, I think of uh, live edge slabs. You know, that was hot. 10 years ago, live edge, everything was live yeah, edge, live like edge, that, this, yeah. live edge, that, you know, Noguchi was a master of it, but then all these people, you know, you can buy live edge slabs at Home Depot and Lowe's now in the wood right. section, they have them, but that became the trend. And for a while it was very on trend. And now when you go to a Starbucks, they have fake live edge slabs in Starbucks, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. it's only a minute before McDonald's will have them and, and before a loves truck stop has them. And the live edge that you see at these places, if you look carefully, which I think is interesting what they do, they take a hollow core door, essentially a slab. They take a hollow core, hollow core panel and then they just laminate on bark along the edge. And then what? they stain it dark brown and put a high gloss lacquer on it. And from five feet away, it looks like a live edge slab. But when you get up hmm. to you're like, oh, they just glued bark to the edge. And it's, it's, it's a hollow core door. <laughs> See, once you bastardize it or continue to bastardize whatever it is, then yeah, it's, then it's not going to be a trend for very long anymore. Exactly. It's not going to be in demand. Yeah. But what drove it down? And so I think, I think to look to what makes something on trend and what makes something in style, you have to look to things that failed that were once in style. And for, for me, what drove Live Edge to the bottom was a race to the bottom as far as price and value. And, you know, Live Edge originally came from a woodworker that had slabs stored in her shop and it had a premium on it. And you came in and you want this and, oh, that's going to be $20,000. Great. And that, that kept it exclusive. That kept supply low because it wasn't at Home Depot and Lowe's. It was at an artisan woodworker shop. And the price was high because there was a lot of work into it, a lot of craft into it. When the price came down and the availability went through the roof, like I said, you can go to any hardware store and they'll just have slabs of them in the back. Then the demand as far as what's on trend, what a designer is looking for, what a homeowner is looking for, for, you know, what's on trend that went away hundred percent. They don't want it anymore um, because it's cheap and because it's readily available and because now you're going to see it in Starbucks. I don't want that anymore. So well, I'm, I'm willing to say also the quality plummets. Oh, the quality plummets. I mean, as example, yes, no, but hold on. You can yeah, still go face. to any woodworker shop. You can still go to any worker shop and get a live edge slab. So you can still get high quality, but the yeah, fact. Yeah, but what I'm going with it is, no, but the, the slabs that are coming out of forest today are not the slabs of old growth wood. So meaning the quality of the wood's gone down and that's pretty easy. I mean, you look at the, uh, you look at today's two by fours, man, versus two by fours that were built in a home in the sixties and they're night and day. No, I'm with you. Dude. I mean, I've demoed plenty. My house built in 1927, I think 1923. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but when I demoed, yeah, I mean, you you take out two by fours and the the ring, the growth rings are like a millimeter apart. Boom, boom, exactly. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. and and you, you know, see that in today's new homes and the the shrinkage and the cracking and the I mean, it's nuts. Yeah, but I'm still there's still quality out there. If you seek it out, you find it. I'm going to Arkansas this weekend. I have a property there that uh, I'm looking at doing a, a new build on. And um, there's a local fabrication shop here that does really, really high-end wood and metal fabrication. They're called Tin Works, T-E-N, mm -hmm. Tin Works. And um, I, I've, I've been talking to the owner, Nick, and 
I met him. He's a super nice guy. And anyway, see, I, I posted about my rammed earth house that I'd built in Arkansas and I have another project. And I actually have two projects I'm working on there. And um, I said, I'm going there. And he's like, hey, can I go with you? I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and so he's going to ride with me. I'm going down there. I'll be there for two days. He's going to go with me. Are you bringing snacks? I'm bringing snacks. But, <laughs> no, uh, is he bringing snacks? He better be bringing snacks, yes. Yeah. Uh, but my point with this, John, isn't, isn't I, I think it's awesome. You know, I'll just say this. I mean, we've kind of gone on a segue, but it's an interesting segue. Is in life, opportunities come up. And for me, some of the best things I've ever done have been when an opportunity presented itself and I said yes. That's been the best. That happened with me when I did the show Framework. That happened with me when I did a TED Talk. That's happened to me. So many times in my life, when something came up, I said yes. I've never had anybody just say to me, hey, can I go with you? And that's never happened. I was like, at first I was like, because uh, I'm, I'm just used to like being by myself and listening to a podcast, you know, and, and just cruising down the highway. And I thought, yeah, dude, yes. Because I probably have a lot in common with this guy. It'll be great conversation. I'll get to know more about him and his business and everything he's working on. And it's just a good opportunity. But where I'm going with this, John, is I went I, to... See, I'm picturing your Yes Man. I'm thinking of that Jim Carrey movie. Remember that Yes Man? I never saw that movie. No? Come Didn't on, see dude, it. That was hilarious. Didn't see it. I'm not a huge, no. huge Jim Carrey fan. I like some movies no. of Jim Carrey, but uh, I'm not the biggest fan. So Okay. Well, you should watch it because he, he goes through a period of he's like, that's what someone teaches. Like, you need to start saying yes. And uh, he ends up on quite some adventures just saying yes. Well, okay. let's stay on the segue for a minute because that's a good thing uh, about a podcast. It's kind of a long format. We can go where we want to go. So for instance, Framework, that TV show I was a judge on. I originally said no. And I said no a bunch of times to them. And that, that dates back to I'd been cast for a show for NBC and that was a bad experience for me. And when that was over, I said, never again am I going to go through this again, you know? And so this, this producer started reaching out, wanted me to come interview for the show. And I said, no, 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 no. Again and again and again and again. And it was summertime in Phoenix. You know, if anybody's ever been in Phoenix in the summer, it's miserable. My shop wasn't AC'd. It's, it uh, had a swamp cooler, which is an evaporative cooler. And uh, so it's muggy, it's 100 degrees and just high humidity in the shop. It's miserable, it's miserable. And so I kept getting these calls and Aaron, my wife, we weren't married yet, we were dating, but she was working with my company. And um, so she would sit on the other side of the desk for me and she kept hearing me say no to these people. You know, I'd get a phone call. Yeah, I'm not interested, thanks. And finally she said, just, just go, just say yes, just go out there, meet with them, tell them, you know, you appreciate them having you come out. It's not a good fit, but if they have something in the future to keep you in mind you know, don't say no, go out there and, and do that. And I did. And that's what led to me being a judge on the show. And I originally wasn't cast as a judge, which is another crazy story. I was originally cast as, as a cast member. And I told them in that meeting, listen, I know you want me. And they're dying laughing. I thought it was hilarious. I'm like, I know you want me. I don't want to do your show. I appreciate it. But if you guys need a judge, I'd be the Simon Cowell of concrete. You guys have a great day. Peace. And I get up and I left. I just left. Right. And, uh, and then it came up, knocked to my room and they said, listen, until you said it, we didn't think it, but you said you should be the judge. And we're like, yes, you should be the judge. So they want to send you right now to go do a screen test. And I'm like, dude, I was joking. They're like, doesn't matter. We've been looking yeah. for a judge and yeah, like go. you, your personality is what we're looking for. And I guess my point is, had I said, had I stuck with no, none of that would have unfolded. None of those, none of those life experience would have happened. Right. Well, that's what I say. Yeah. Life experience. Yeah. And so this, Story, yeah. this weekend, me going out to, 
to Arkansas and uh, Nick going with me. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. It's like when you hear these stories of people being on a flight and the flight gets grounded and they end up renting a car together and driving cross country. It's kind of like yeah, that, yeah. you know, that, that experience. Planes, so, trains, automobiles. Yeah. These aren't pillows. Yeah. So <laughs> anyways, where I'm going with this, John, and how I even got on Nick is I went to their shop here and they have a beautiful shop, this big brick building, historic building, like a barrel wood ceiling. You know, I'm talking about this curve. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's great. And they have racks and racks of live edge slabs like walnut and oak that are drying, but these are quality slabs, big, thick, you know, massive slabs that are, that are high, high quality. And so my point is there's still people out there that are working with that type of wood and doing high yeah. quality work. The point I'm trying to make is the demand and the price has plummeted because the supply has gone up and the price went down. And due to that, designers, it's no longer on trend like it was 10 years ago. That's my point. Interesting. Well, but when I look at our industry, and again, maybe I'm jaded. I'm, I'm willing to say this. Maybe I'm jaded. What I have seen living, you know, my own story is that although... Even where I'm at, in fact, I was just who was, I was just talking to somebody here recently at Starbucks in Angels Camp, California, outdoor, you know, out in the outdoor area there, the seating area. Of course, this is, this is so, such a John Schuler experience. Every time I'm around John, yeah. for anybody listening, anytime I'm around John, John talks to everybody, everybody. <laughs> hey, good morning. How's it going? Oh, I'm like, John, you don't know this person. Shut up. Leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, John. I right. lived, hey, you, before before you, you know finish John? this before you finish the story cuz I want to hear the story before you finish the story. In Eureka Springs, I lived there for 7 years. 7 years. Didn't know a soul, right? Small town. Like 700 people live there. I lived there for 7 years. I go down to get a coffee one day at this like little tiny coffee shop hidden. And uh really nice barista, she's like making my my drink and She's like, so are you, do you, do you live here? Are you on vacation? I'm like, no, I've lived here for like seven years. <laughs> She's like, oh, okay. Where? I'm like, well, like a quarter mile down the road, that big rammed earth building looks kind of like stone. She's like, oh yeah, I know what that is. I'm like, yeah, that's me. And, uh, she's, she's like, so what do you do? I'm like, oh, I do, uh, John, are you cutting out again? John. Uh, I can hear you there. partner. All right. Uh, you cut out. But so anyways, she's like, um. She's like, so what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I, I uh, do concrete, like concrete sinks and countertops. She's like, really? Do you know a guy named John Schuler? I'm like, I do actually. He's my business partner in a, in a concrete company called Kodiak Pro. She's like, oh my God, I love John. John's the nicest guy. Of course, John Schuler, a guy that lives in California, who's only in Eureka Springs for a couple days a year, knows everybody in the town. I've been there for seven years. I don't know anybody. Of course. You there, buddy? All right, let's try this again. Well, there we are. Yeah, that was weird, dude. All of a sudden, you got all like, I'm like, oh, I know he's talking, and then and then boop, that was gone. That was your side somehow. Weird. Huh. Uh, so you were at Starbucks, sitting outside, and you started talking to somebody. What happened? Well, so yeah, so what I was going with it is outside this in the seating area are these. I don't know who made them. These GFRC. It's a metal base and these GFRC tables, right? And they're kind of like planks. I don't know who made them, and I don't care. Where I was going with it is anybody who sees those 
and that that's the perception of what concrete countertops is because that's still such a you know it's such a wide wide verbiage to use concrete countertops you could see where literally people have gone up and i'm going to say poked their finger and broke through and the glass fiber showing and and they're all cracked and micro cracked and you know stained and etc cetera, etc cetera. That's yeah. all I was. Well, going they're probably yeah. a lot of that stuff is made like restoration hardware. They make a lot of it in Malaysia. Um, well, that was my next thing is where where I think the demand will continue since this is what we're talking about. Where I think the demand and and quality will continue to reside isn't in those tables that I see at Starbucks. In fact, I'm probably going to talk to the manager and just on my own time, my own dime, just replace them not expecting anything out of it. I'm just one of those. I hate stopping by there and see them. <laughs> well, you like better get garbage. free coffee for life, man, if you do that. Right. Yeah. But it reminds me of the time when Joe Bates was making these tables and, you know, very high quality, you know, selling them at, you know, high end and demand. And the next thing, you know, you mentioned restoration hardware, restoration hardware knocked them off and was having, let's say the, the same table in looks and design features made somewhere else and brought in at like, you know, a fourth, the cost, uh, and they were selling them for about the fourth, the cost as Joe was. And I actually know people who bought them off restoration hardware, not, not knowing that Joe Bates and SC fabrication had them, but bought them because of the price. And when they got them into their home, the quality was so bad, it completely turned them off to buying anything else, you know, related to something called concrete countertops. Yeah. Now that changed. That's a whole nother story. And, and they went other directions. But so I think the demand will continue to stay high for quality product at a price point that shows quality product. You know, just as I always say, you know, Rolexes are not going out of style. Yeah. But if Rolexes were available at Walmart for, $50, they would. They're going to go out of style. Exactly. And with that, they lose the their status. Yeah. Yeah. Became the Rulox instead of the Rolex. Well, you know, here's my, here's my view on a jump off. is yeah. as long as supply is restricted and as long as the price is high, there's a market that responds to that. The wealthy market, the right. people that, the things that are on trend, that's what they, they aspire to have. And I, what's yeah. great about what we do is, Restricted supply is built in. There's not a whole lot of people around the world to do what we do. And there's been some people that have tried to mass manufacture it. They failed. When people try to make slabs of concrete and fabricate it like they would stone, right. it never goes right. well. It never ends well. Yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah. If several Latrosa, people have tried it. Ice stone. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it, it's not worked out. So by default, because this is a handcrafted product, it, the, the supply is low. The only thing that could drive it down is if across the board, everybody dropped their prices dramatically. And I don't think anybody would because you wouldn't be able to sustain as a business. Uh, you know, even right. at 150 a square foot in 2024, you're just, you're, you're getting by, but you're not, you're not getting ahead, you know? So if people are trying to drop it to say 50 bucks a square foot, you're going to go out of business. I mean, that's just, I've seen that happen for 20 years. You know, we're talking about the last yeah. two decades. I've seen so many people try to sell based on price. You know, they're trying to be the low cost leader. They're trying to be Walmart. They're selling because they're not right. selling based on design. They're not selling based on whatever it is, scale. You know, like I think of Michael Carmody who does massive pieces or uh, mm -hmm. Dusty Baker or Dusty Creek. They're not selling price. They're selling 
something else altogether. Well, and to go along with that, sorry, I'm interrupting you, but to go along with that, because I've talked to some of the people over the years and I hate to go back to where we started, but with a few of those individuals having that conversation, a lot of the information that they thought they were gleaning from as the successful experienced information was coming from people that were not successful. And what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by like, if you come sit down and talk to John Schuler over the, you know, whatever, 16 to 20 years, 20 years running my business, actually 22 now, but 16 years designing product and said, well, you know, geez, man, why do you charge what you charge? I'll have a story for that. And I'll have a reason why it necessitates that everything from the quality produced to going into the clients that I want to touch bases with and so forth and so on. Now, if you have that conversation, as I've heard many times with these individuals that found themselves at lower square foot prices or whatever they were doing and, and quickly finding themselves on a hamster wheel of not making money is because that information was coming from somebody who was never successful for it to begin with and is not, how would I say, is not wading in the waters. Maybe, again, maybe they instead they're selling on instruction or whatever the case may be. But because they're so disconnected from the things that are truly happening, their information is so inconsequential that it leads people down a bad track rather than, than helping them be successful. That's what I've seen. And I'm not, you know, this just stop me to point directly at anybody. So if anybody takes that, like, I can't believe. No, I'm not pointing that at anybody because there's a lot of bad information on oh, that tons, out there. Tons. Yeah. Um, I posted a, a, a little uh, meme, I guess it's a meme, it's a quote on my Facebook from Seneca that said, men can be divided into two groups, one that goes ahead and achieves something and one that comes after and criticizes. And I think no, about, true. you know, there's another um, yeah. really famous uh, speech called the, the, the Man in the Arena that talks about, you know, he's the one that matters. The guy that actually goes out there and does it, that's the, that's the guy that, that matters, not the people that criticize and belittle after the fact. Right. But yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely a lot of that. There's a lot of that that happens. Um, you know, I was talking about Dustin. I was talking about Carmody, but it got me thinking about something else before we continue this conversation uh, about style, but it got me thinking about scale and that scale is a selling point. So Michael Carmody sure. does massive pieces. He did a video like 12 or 15 years ago called The White Whale that's no longer on YouTube. It was... It's gone. I don't oh, know really? where it went, but it was Michael Carmody casting this huge white concrete countertop, probably weighed 2000 pounds, 3000 pounds. And him and one other guy were uh, flipping it over and then they maneuvered it. They loaded it in a rider truck. They drove it to the job site. They unloaded it. They got it in. They had like two inches of clearance on each side of the wall. They got it around. And then they used just two by fours and winches to get it up over the, ca the cabinets and set it. Two guys. And it was amazing. Yeah, right it was an amazing thing to, to see. And I wish that that video was still on YouTube because it's so good. But my point is that was scale. Dusty Baker does massive scale pieces. I mean, I don't think there's anybody yeah. out there at this point in time that are still anything bigger than Dusty. Dusty's doing islands that it would oh, give me a nightmare. Huge. It would give me a nightmare, dude. I would have so many things. I, I'm pretty, pretty sure I have a ulcer right now. I'm going to the doctor in a few days, but that's where he pulls some of that stuff up and you know, the way it, from the forklift, I mean, he's just, Dude. He's, it's like he's standing next to it, next to the, you know, the big whale. And they're freaking humongous. They're huge. 
But yeah. I, I don't think there's anybody anywhere in the world doing pieces bigger than, than Dusty Baker. Where I'm going to this is, you know, talking about the bad information. There's people out there that have you believe you need to have an engineer sign off on it. They need to review it and give you the okay. Dusty Baker is highly successful. He doesn't ask an engineer for approval. You know, Michael Carmody, as far as I know, and I've known Carmody for a long time, he's not going to an engineer and asking them to review his pieces and sign off on it. So there's, there's this bad information that leads you to believe, leads you down the path. You hit your wagon to, to, to the wrong person, leads you down a path of seeking the wrong thing and focusing on the wrong thing. And ultimately it leads to your demise. I don't know one single successful person that relies on an engineer, especially a geotechnical engineer. My father is a civil engineer, a structural engineer, and a geotechnical engineer. And he doesn't know jack about concrete mix design, right? Nothing. Right. Those engineering degrees mean nothing in the world of what we do. And he would say that, you know, yeah, he can design a bridge for you and he can design a dam for you and he can, you know, <laughs> do a soil analysis and, and recommend the footing design. But if you say, hey, uh, can you make me a... Concrete mix design of this? No, none of that applies. It's completely irrelevant. So anyways, my point is bad information, bad information in, bad information out. Hit your wagon to somebody that's a failed business owner. You're going to be a failed business owner. That's, that's well, more of the story. What I also say, th those without the egos, I think I, I mentioned this before. My neighbors just, just literally built a house right behind my house, right? Super, super nice people. Mike, I can't think of his last name, but amazing. Anyway, he works. Oh, shoot. I can't, you know, one of the chip companies, right? We were over it prior to going on vacation, having dinner with these great, great people down to earth. It's pretty amazing. And I don't know what his specific engineering was, but we ended up in this conversation where he was just laughing about how, you know, the true value in what he does now, because he's way up there in what he does is he specifically targets people with experience, not degrees, not PhDs, not, you know, Hey, you know, I got all these years and, you know, maybe, maybe points to their degrees to say, Hey, hire me because of this. This is what makes me important. He doesn't look at any of that anymore. And he hasn't for a long time. He's found time and time and time again, that the people who come in of value to the company are people with experience, not not degrees. He still hires degrees because sometimes you just need that as a part of your letterhead or something. But um, the people who are truly valuable are the ones with experience. Yeah. Applied knowledge will always win out. I, I built my shop. I built uh, a massive garage, which could have been a, a pretty big house out of rammed earth. And I built my house out of rammed earth. And I didn't have an engineer sign off or do anything, right? Mm. I did all the stuff myself. I did all the design myself. And so I'm working on where I'm going with this. I'm working on a project right now um, in Missouri, a rammed earth project. And the structural engineer reached out because this is, the plans need to be, uh, need to have engineering done and stamped and all that kind of good stuff for the county to approve it. And um, I drew up what I recommended. I recommended a uh, grade beam. I recommended this rebar schedule and this layout. And he, he ran all the calculations like, it's overkill, but yeah, I like it. And that's what we're going to do. My point is you don't, if you, if you know what you're doing, if you have real world experience, an engineer can look at it like this guy did and look at it and say, no, that's perfect. That's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally fine with that. 
That's this is if this is what you do and I ran the calcs, you're good. Perfect. Great. Right. So that wins out. But anyways, we got off track. Let's get back on track. You ready to get on track, John? <laughs> okay. Okay. So let's, let's bring, get on track. Let's bring this back. And back to the conversation at hand is are concrete countertops on style? Yes, they're on style based on restricted supply and based on price. Like I said, the only thing that I think will ever get it to drop in that demand would be if price came down, but price cannot come down. Right. Even if you manufacture in Malaysia, even if you ma- manufacture overseas somewhere, you know, restoration hardware, they're having a hell of a time. Um, I, I talked about this on a very early podcast, but I was contacted by restoration hardware through, through a third party. And, um, hmm. They're, they had a massive failure rate with the concrete they're having manufactured in Malaysia. And they have a return policy where if somebody had, they, they did a table or they did a fire table or whatever, if it cracked, restoration hardware would, they have like white glove service. They'd go and remove it out of the, out of the house, which could be on wow. the 10th floor in San Francisco or New York or wherever it is, you know, they'd have to go get it, replace it. And something like 30% or more of the pieces coming over were already broken when they arrived. So yeah. they had a huge rate of breakage. Um, so anyways, and those, those, even a restoration hardware, they're cheap, but they're not cheap. I mean, they're cheap for concrete, but they're still not cheap for a table. No, yeah, you know? I don't, I don't think they're inexpensive. No, no. And, um, and if anybody's interested in ever working with a company like that, don't. And the reason is I worked with another company that, uh, is like that, like restoration hardware, but like that. And they wanted me to do a collection of furniture. And I designed a really cool chair and a really cool side table and coffee table. I did all the renderings. I worked with a company to, to 3D model everything. I, I mean, I came prepared. They wanted pricing. They wanted to order 1,000 units of this, 1,000 units of that. They wanted price on delivery. You know, uh, they, they wanted all this stuff. And so I got the whole presentation together. I flew to San Francisco. I sat down with them, showed them the chair. The chair had a bronze base, cast bronze base, beautiful UHPC concrete shell, a formed leather seat pad, which was super complex. And I sorted out how to do all that. And uh, anyways, my price on that chair in mass, like at a thousand units was like $770. And that was pretty much my break even point. You know, um, it wasn't, it, it retail would have been like seven or $8,000. Okay. Uh-huh. For that chair. So, but if I was going to make a thousand of them, I'd done all the math on a, I set up 20 molds and do 20 a day and I, you know, all this kind of stuff. And okay, I can make this work. I'm not going to make a ton of money, but we'll be cash flow positive. And if I'm doing, they wanted a lamp as well. So I did, you know, lamps and lamps. I want like 5,000 units of the lamp and all this kind of stuff. So anyways, I go down and meet with them. My first slide is the chair. And, uh, and I have a breakdown of the cost. And they're like, oh, oh, no, 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 no. Because it's like my wholesale rate to them was like 770 unit without freight. And uh, they're like, no, we need to be like $147 on that. <laughs> huh? And they'd already told me, no joke. They'd already told me. And I'm going off memory. So my number's probably not, not correct. But they're, they're, they had planned to put the price point of the chair. They gave this to me in their original briefing at like $7,000 or $8,000, right? That's their price point for the chair. They told me that. That was irrelevant to me. I'm going to give them my price based on that number of units. But um, so I already know they're planning to retail it. And they're like, no, we need to be at $143, $147, whatever it was. Some ridiculous number. Ridiculous. And I just told them, we're a bridge too far. I mean, I'm giving you guys my absolute, like, if everything goes as planned and, you know, we don't have massive issues, we'll make some money, not a lot of money. But at $147, i am I'm 
throwing money into it, like mass amount of money. I'm losing so much money. I just ended the meeting right then. I, even though I'd flown there and I'd put all this money into putting together this proposal and generating all this stuff, I just said, it's a bridge too far. There's no point in even talking about it. And I had a partner on that, the guy, the third party that brought me in for this meeting. And um, I just told him, there's, there's no way to even, we're not even close. So I ended it right then. So anyways, my point with that is, it, again, we're off track. But if anybody's interested in doing that type of work, it's a world of pain. And the only way to do it is to do it in Malaysia. And then, then you're going to have 30% breakage and you're going to be breaking in people's houses and it's going to be a big, a big train wreck. So it's... No, uh, well, that was the ultimate demise of Vitrazo as well. Yeah. Like I told you, I went out, I mean, you know, spent time with them, really turned it all around. But the reality was at the end of the day, although they had, a, they had hired a, a great chemist at the time <clears throat> to, that they brought in-house... So I worked with him and we really turned it on. But, but that time, yeah, their, their breakage rate was so, it was just so big. It, it just, it couldn't be, it was not sustainable. Yeah. And a lot of those companies, they get like big federal grants to get off the ground, you know, because they're yep. a green technology and we're employing green jobs and all this kind of stuff. Yep, yep. It lasts for a few years and then they, they burn up that, uh, that fund so the money and, runs then, up. and then, yeah. you know. Got to close shop, but uh, anyways. So, damn it. We've gone on like 20 different segues. Let's stay on point, John. I feel like I'm ADHD right. today. Like I need to, I need to take some, uh, what, what is that pill that people take? Uh, what is it for, for ADHD? What am I thinking of? A roofie? No, not a roofie. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell am I thinking of? All the kids taking like these days. Adderall. Adderall. I need some damn Adderall, man. I've never taken Adderall, yeah. but it'd probably help me. Anyways, so the other part of this too is positioning the product. If you want to stay on trend, if we want to keep concrete on trend, on demand, we got to position it as, as a community, as a premium luxury product. Now, right. there's a caveat. There's going to be business segments of this industry that don't need to be positioned as a premium luxury product, such as wall caps, such as bollards, such as, I mean, there's a lot of things in this industry that are using a UHPC concrete, they're using high quality, but they don't need to present themselves to the public as being a premium luxury product. I get that. And so if that's what you do, great. You know, you can fast forward. You don't need to hear this part of it. But if you're in the business of making concrete sinks, countertops, furniture, and tile, you're probably going to be wanting to position yourself to your clientele as a premium luxury product because that's where the price point is. That's where the demand is. And mm -hmm. the way you do that, you know, you, the easiest way to do it is look to other companies that do that. So look to, you brought up Rolex. That's a great example. Look to Rolex, look to Bugatti, look to um, Mercedes, look to, to brands, you know, Cartier, um, Hermes. There's a lot of different brands out there that are focused on the luxury demographic. So look to what they do. And the first step of that in my advice to the listeners is focus on photography, focus on quality photography. This is something that I can't stress enough. It's one of the tenets of when we teach a class, we talk to people about, you know, what is needed to be needed to be successful in this industry. Photography is number one. I look at so many people's websites. I see, you know, comments on Facebook and these threads back and forth and I'll click on a person's link and click on their business. And the photography is horrible. It's horrible, number yeah. one. So right then, a client looking at that, you've dropped your, your perceived quality and value and, and your place in their mind of like luxury dramatically if the photography doesn't match. So get a professional photographer, 
Don't use your iPhone. Don't go out and get a DSLR. Even if you have a fancy camera, I promise you a professional photographer with an iPhone will take a 10 times better photo than you with the highest end camera that exists, right? So hire a professional, somebody that is good at their craft. Photography is definitely, there's talent involved. It's not just equipment. It's not just lighting. There's talent and there's people everywhere in, in this country that are talented at it. Find that person, hire that person, pay their price, get those photos. Those photos will pay dividends. So number one, professional photography. Number two, professional website. Again, we live in a day and age. Your touch point with the customer. Most customers, if you're shipping your product and you really should be shipping your product. The problem with being a local company, if you're a jack of all trades, master of none, you're only going to be selling within a 10, 15, 20 mile radius of where you are. Okay. If there's an economic downturn, which I've lived through and you've lived through, if there's an economic downturn and you're stuck to your local demographic, I was in Phoenix when the crash happened in 2007. Everybody went out of business. I was the only company that existed in Phoenix when the crash happened. And the reason yep. was Phoenix and Las Vegas were the two hardest hit markets in the United States. My house went from, from 350000 They were auctioning on my street for $35,000. My house was worth one-tenth what I paid for it. Okay. So Phoenix was one of the hardest hit markets. Concrete dried up immediately. Nobody was building. Nobody was putting concrete countertops, concrete sinks, nothing. The the whole city just, it it was crazy living in Phoenix during the crash. But the reason I... I survived that was because Phoenix wasn't my demographic. I was shipping. I was shipping to New York. I was shipping to Seattle. I was shipping to Bozeman, Montana. I was shipping all over the place. And because of that, those clients, those wealthy clients, they weren't affected by the the economic downturn, right? They were still building their nice luxury homes and they were still specking the products. So my point is your touch point with these customers, they're not going to come down to your shop. It's great to have a nice shop. It's great to have a nice showroom. That's all, all good. But for the most part, if you're shipping, you're never going to have an interaction with your customer face-to-face. So your touch points are going to be your website, the photography on your website, which is critical. And if those two things are lacking, you're going to drop your perceived value. And they're, they're not going to have confidence that when you say this sink is $10,000 or this table is $20,000, they're not going to pay those prices because your, right. your website doesn't reflect that level. Okay. Or you don't reflect. Yeah. That's the difference of showing up, you know, looking professional. I mean, again, as, as much of us, as much as any of us doesn't want to admit it, the reality is, you know, first impressions matter and that's just the way it is. Yeah. You know, um, way it is. That's why, yeah, that's why I spend all this time. Everybody knows how pretty I am and it takes time to to make it look this good. Yeah. Yep. You know it. You know, you know it. (laughs) Anyways, John. I was on a roll, man. I'm on a roll. I'm in it. I'm in a zone right now. So <laughs> websites, my, my last bit of advice on websites is there was a time I've spent, no joke, over over 20 years, I spent close to probably $100,000, no joke, on my websites because I've gone through several redesigns over the years, hired professional companies, their rate's 20000 We did one website that was $70,000. It never even launched. As for a business, I never even did. That's a whole other story for a different day. A lot of it was in trade. We did a lot of furniture for this company. Um, custom desks and whatnot, but it, uh, and it was a big cash payment as well to them. And we built this crazy website, insane website, and I never, ever moved forward. I just didn't have the time. I still don't have the time. So anyways, but my point is I've spent a ton of money and today in 2024, 
You can go to squarespace.com. You can build a professional website. I have no affiliation affiliation to Squarespace. I don't get paid a penny from those guys. My point is I've, I'm using their uh, platform right now to build the website for um, Momo, make Momo the modern mold website. And it's super easy. And you generate a very high quality website for like 20 bucks a month. And it's completely on par with a $20,000 website. So you don't have to have a big budget. So there's no excuse. There's no excuse to, to have a GoDaddy tonight or a Wix website or any of these things that I see, these low budget websites, these free websites, they, they feel low budget, they feel cheap. And if that's what you're presenting to a client, they're not going to trust you with making a table that you quoted $20,000 on. They're just not going to do it. So my last, well, I have two more pieces of advice on this. My next piece of okay. advice is, so they go to your website. Great photography, right? Website's great as far as layout and design and everything like that. But if you have typos, and I see this, dude, it's insane. I go to, not, not just concrete related, but I went to a website, some super famous um, like business coach and visionary, you know, of like, he, he was in architecture magazine. His house was, it's this crazy house. And so I got interested. I'm like, who is this guy? I've never heard of this guy. So I looked him up and he has a website and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I was reading his website and it was just riddled with typos. His copy, the, the mm. you know, the verbiage, just riddled with it. And this guy is like supposedly, you know, this world leader of, of uh, business coaching for super successful CEOs and whatever. But his website didn't convey that. It, it was just typo after typo and grammatical errors and punctuation errors. I'm just like, whoa, whoa. Like this, there's a disconnect here, right? So my point is, good photography, good website, good copy. If you never heard the term yep. copy, I'm not talking about copy paper. I'm talking about the verbiage on your website. There are people that are copy writers. You know, chat GBT, you hear about chat GBT, AI, all this kind of stuff. Chat GBT, AI, it's cool, but don't let a robot write the verbiage for your website. Okay. Hire somebody. There's a difference. There's a difference. Hire somebody that's a good copywriter to write the copy, a professional copywriter to write the copy for your website. There's a difference between a human and a robot on this. And that is the third part of this to generate um, image of luxury and quality to a customer that you'll never meet face to face. Okay. The fourth and final part of this, John, is the touch point you have with that customer. So at some point you're going to send them something. You're going to send them a submittal. You're going to send them a, a material sample, um, a brochure, something. You're going to send them something at some point. When you do that, be thoughtful with what you send them, meaning generate a, a label, a professionally designed label, hire a graphic designer for the back of your sample. Make a nice sample. Don't just you know, ca ca uh, cast a big slab and cut it into squares. I see that so many times. It looks bad. Like actually make something that's cool, okay? Have a nice box. Um, have nice packaging. Have a nice business card. I mean, we talk about business cards, but you know, you, you see realtors hand out these aqueous coated business cards or super high gloss. They feel cheap. They look cheap. They get those for like, you know, a penny a piece on uh, uh, whatever it is, onedayprinting.com or something. That is mm -hmm. not luxury. You need to hire, I mean, even Moo, M-O-O.com will do letterpress cards now that, you know, they're a buck 50 a piece or whatever, order hundred of them, 150 bucks. They'll last you for years because you're not throwing them out at every person you see. You're only giving them to an architect or designer or to, to a client that is a serious person. So dollar fifty is a small investment that can pay dividends to, to a big project, but you need to convey your level of professionalism and luxury and quality. And it's through your touch points, it's through your photography, it's through your website, it's through your copy. That is my Ted talk. 
Uh, that's my masterclass. If you do those things, you position yourself, that's going to pay dividends for running a successful business. And you're not going to hear that from somebody that uh, ran a failed business 20 years ago because they don't know what they don't know. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Leave it at that. Leave it at that. There you go. All right. So anything else, John? No, no. I think that covers most everything for the moment. Yeah. 2024, baby. I think it's going to be a great year. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. There's one more thing I wanted to hit. One more oh. thing I, it's not bad, but it's just, okay, it's something. Just to make sure. Well, it's just something that uh, I thought was an interesting um, back and forth on, uh, on Facebook. There is a, on, on one of the Facebook pages, there was a conversation go back and forth and somebody mentioned to the person that was asking a question, you should take a class. And then there was a lot of, uh, a lot of negative comments to that poster, you know, call them an egomaniac and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, oh, I don't need to take class. I'm just going to watch YouTube. Okay. You know, again, we live in a free world. Do what you want. Do whatever you want to do. Take the path you want to take. But staying on 20 years of doing this and watching the way things go. Here's all I'll say about YouTube. And I'm, I'm not a YouTube hater. I think YouTube has a place in society. I use YouTube. Agreed. You know, yeah, yeah, I, I go to, to YouTube. Yeah, yeah I yeah. replace, um, I, I put LED bulbs on my truck. You know, first thing I do, how to replace uh, headlight bulbs on a Ram 2500, right? Mm-hmm. I go to YouTube and look for that. But if this is your career, this is your livelihood, this is how you provide for your kids, your family, your retirement, your kids' college, whatever it is, this is your livelihood. This isn't changing bulbs on your truck. You know, this isn't anything like that. This is your livelihood. I would highly encourage you not to build your career based on videos posted to YouTube because most of the videos on YouTube are well-meaning people, but they're hobbyists. They're hobbyists. They're weekend warriors. Those are the people making videos, publishing videos for the most part on YouTube. The real professionals in any industry, no matter what it is, the real true high-level professionals are not making free videos on how to do what they do every day and they provide for their families and post them on YouTube. There's no vested interest in doing that. So if you want to build a career in any business, go to the people that are successful. And if they have training, which not all industries do, when I started my my business in 2004, there wasn't any real training. Buddy Rhodes had a class. Buddy Rhodes, a man, had a class. I didn't teach anything. And I love Buddy as a person, but that class didn't teach anything. It was dump concrete in a mixer and spray water with a hose. How much water, Buddy? Psh, that much. How much is that? Is that a gallon, Buddy? Psh, ah, looks about right. But what is that, Buddy? Is that, is that a gallon and a half? Ah, psh, yeah, right there. I didn't learn anything meaningful to run a business in that class, right? I met Buddy. I love Buddy. I think Buddy's a great person. My point was there, there wasn't quality training at that point. If you're lucky enough to be in an industry, whether it's metalworking, concrete, whatever it is, and there's quality training from people that successfully have been in that business for a long time, it might be a good investment to go to that training, okay? So YouTube, it has its place, but I would never, I'd never build a career that I'm going to base my livelihood and my family's future on by watching YouTube. I wouldn't do it. Now, if I'm just going to cast something from my backyard, I want to make a, a fire pit. Okay, yeah, go to YouTube. That's fine. Great, do that. You're probably going to get hobbyist results by watching a video made by a hobbyist. But if you yeah, want and pro- that's okay. Yeah, if that's what you're looking for. That's what I'm yeah. saying. And I've done that plenty of times. But if you want professional results, either hire a professional or attend professional training and, and get on the right track and learn how to do it the right way. That's all I want to say about that. Because those comments of like, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go to class, I'll just watch YouTube. I'm just everything like, man, you're just it's one thing to do a project for your house for the weekend. It's a different thing to build your business, but only rely on YouTube videos made by hobbyists. You know, so I agree. Anyways. 
All right. On that note, John. Oh, the last thing we haven't talked about it, but we should is going to be the craft concrete cures. We still want to do this health challenge. You know, you're back from vacation. I need to get healthy. You know, my belt's still a little too snug for my liking. So, well, I don't know if you heard it the whole time I've been sitting here. And if you heard that noise going on, that's my belt loops popping, actually going, (laughs) 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 your your button just popping off your pants and flying across the room. I'll tell you what, though. I mean, now that we're talking about this for a minute, I've had some great conversations since I got back from various people who are in a, I'm going to say a similar mindset, man. Not just, ooh, the new year, but everything from nutrition, you know, uh, cold plunging, uh, vitamins. I've had some fantastic. So, you know, I, I'm excited to move something like that forward with all of us, you know, same thing. Now it's not necessarily concrete. It's, I'm going to say, you know, well-being, self, you know, but again, it's, I don't know how that could not be, again, a very integral part of what a person's doing in their business life as well. Because if you're feeling better and if you're making strides forward, then, you know, that all of that is... I don't know how you're going to say it. It's just going to flood into everything you're doing from your relationships, personal relationships, business perspective, the whole, you know, the whole gambit. So it's, I think, yeah, I'm really excited about it. Well, I mean, we'll see if other people are excited about it. But if you are, reach out to us, send us a text, send us an email, comment on Facebook, whatever that you want to do the the health challenge that we are going to do here soon. We're going to set up an app, set up a group, and we'll track our progress and we'll set some benchmarks. And, you know, we'll do some prizes in there. We'll do like a set of diamond pads for whoever wins this this benchmark and whatnot. So we'll figure that out. But, uh, you know, we want to make it fun. Yeah, make it fun at the same time. Yeah, Yeah. but, you know, I'm just... as somebody that's that's self-employed, I need to focus more on my health in addition to running a business. I need to focus on me as well, being healthy, yeah. taking care of myself. That's all part of it as well. So there's that. And you know, I mentioned uh, I mentioned to you last year I was sick for like four months. You listen to the podcast last year. There was that whole period all winter where I, you know, my voice yeah, was just uh, I couldn't yeah. talk. I was so sick this year. You turned me on to vitamin D3 with K2. You're like, dude, just try it. I, I've been taking it. I'm not saying it's the reason I haven't gotten sick, but my kids have gotten sick numerous times. Um, you know, they go to school and they'll come home and they'll be sick for a few days. I've, I've somehow skirted it. So was it that? Maybe, maybe not, but it hasn't hurt anything. You know, I just know, what is it? 90, 90% of all of us are lacking in those vitamins because, I mean, realistically, we're not out in the sun with our skin producing the D3. So it is what it is. Yeah. So anyways, uh, all right, buddy. Well, let's wrap it on that and then we'll catch you next week. All right, man. All right. Good talking to you. Adios. Adios. Uh, You said it when I said that. We'll say it. We'll say it a different time. I did. I said it. I got to get it in quicker, man. Because I'm always at the end going, No, no. I know. That's why we end this. So I'm going to say it, then you're going to say it. You ready? Okay. Go. Adios, amigo. Adios. Adios.